0: I can't resist saying it's good to be with you again after a couple of years not being with some of you, or most of you for that matter, and it's always a joy to open God's word and to see what the Lord has to say to us. We're kicking off a summer series, Living by Faith, from the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 11, and you have a variety of scriptures there in front of you which we'll read, uh, not all at once. And I wanna start with chapter 11, verses one, two, and four. One, two, and four, and then a little bit later we'll get to the other passage you have in front of you from Genesis chapter four. Like a good Presbyterian, my sermon has four points. For those of you who like to know what's coming, we're gonna look at unacceptable and acceptable sacrifices, Cain and Abel first, that's from Hebrews 11, and then uh, a couple other episodes. The second one is going to be uh, David offering a sacrifice that eventually became acceptable after he made a significant mistake first. And then, and then the third is a sacrifice marked by misguided passion. And then we'll look briefly at, Hebrew, uh, sorry, at Romans chapter 12, which describes the acceptable sacrifice which is offered with our heart and our mind and our hands. So that's where we're going. Four points, beginning with Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. This is God's word. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And then verse four. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, I do ask that we would hear all that you're saying to us today about the life of faith beginning in Hebrews 11 with Abel and his acceptable sacrifice. Teach us to do the same, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I have a few grandchildren by now and two of them blessedly live just two blocks away from me which means I see them more or less all the time. And we play games, you know, we play chess, and checkers, and hide and seek, and we tell tall tales. And we also work together. And sometimes in the fall, you know, we rake leaves, and when children rake leaves, they jump in the pile, of course, right? So you're kind of working and not working. And then in the summertime, the best job is washing cars. They, they sometimes say to me, hey, Papa, do you want to wash cars today? Of course, the answer to that question is yes, we want to wash cars. But then, but then the question is, exactly what happens when you wash cars with an eight-year-old and a five-year-old? And the answer is there's soap suds and there's water and, you know, there are brushes and towels involved. But the car might or might not get clean, right? Because it's not quite certain whether the purpose of washing the cars is to soak each other and get suds on each other or to cleanse the car. And so I'm deeply grateful for the moments when we wash or even an hour sometimes when we wash the car, but I do have to sneak in behind them and, and make the cleaning job a little better without making them feel bad, you know what I mean? I have to quietly clean those lower panels that somehow got missed. So what would you say about their work? Is their their sacrifice giving their time to Papa to wash the cars acceptable to me? Well, certainly their motives are beautiful, right? I mean, they want to help and they want to be with Papa. That's terrific. But their standards are not exactly perfect, right? Because they meander between the idea of cleaning the car and having fun. Now, that's an introduction to what we're gonna see about acceptable sacrifices. We certainly need to have a right heart, which Cain had and Abel did not. But having a right heart is actually not quite sufficient. You need right heart and right standards, which we'll see with David and some of David's friends. In fact, it goes like this. In Hebrews 11, it says that Abel's sacrifice was acceptable because He offered it with a good heart and he offered the right thing. Both were present. So God accepted his sacrifice and commended him for it, received his gifts, and because he acted in faith, not as a matter of cold duty, because he acted in faith, his sacrifice was fully acceptable to God. It was motivated by faith and it met God's standards. Therefore, it was acceptable. Now, the contrast, of course, is with Cain. We have an account of it in Genesis chapter four, in verses two to five, and you have the verses in front of you there in your bulletin or maybe in your Bible, and and this is what it says. It says that Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam, came to God to um, offer sacrifices. In verse two, now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard, so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Now people puzzle about this, if you're a Bible study type person, you probably know the little debate here, what exactly went wrong with Cain's sacrifice, and some people say, well, you know, you're supposed to offer a blood sacrifice, he brought fruit, he brought grain, he brought the fruit of the ground, and he didn't bring a blood sacrifice to cover sins, and that's his problem, and that that might be the case, it actually doesn't tell us, For sure because the truth of the matter is there are a variety of sacrifices in the Old Testament and some were to cover sins and some were what's called thanks offerings or praise offerings, celebrations of God's goodness and so you could bring offerings of that kind. That is to say grain and fruit was fine to bring to God. So we're not quite sure whether that was the issue with Cain. We do have a tiny hint that comes by way of contrast between Cain and Abel. And and Cain brought fruit. It says he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, but Abel brought the firstborn and the fat portions. Now, in the Bible, it does definitely say that we're supposed to bring the first fruits of the ground. It doesn't say Abel brought that. He brought some fruit. He brought fruit, not the first fruit, and Abel brought the firstborn, and he brought the fat portions now today, of course, we understand that it 's easy to overeat. Happy to look out at the crowd today and see that most of you exercise marvelous self discipline way to go, um, but the truth is that today we look upon fat as something to be cut off, excised, kept away. But in the Bible, just think of bacon and butter you know it 's the part that tastes really good it 's the And in in old times there was always the possibility there wouldn't be enough food and so that's gonna give us a lot of calories and the main idea is in the Bible it says bring the first and the best and we know that Abel did that. And it doesn't seem that Cain did. He just brought something. And when God said your gift is not acceptable, he didn't repent, he got angry. He got angry at God, and he got angry at his brother. Now that's the sign, that's the real sign that something is wrong. Because, you know, when you correct a good person, a godly person, they're quick to repent. And when you correct a person who's given over to evil, they don't want to repent. They want to look at who they can get angry at. Unfortunately, we see that so much in the world today. And that that applies to big anger and little anger. Just imagine for a minute, since we have food in front of us in this passage. Just imagine for a minute that somebody produces a wonderful meal, more than a meal, a feast for a group of friends. And these friends haven't seen each other for a while and they're just talk, 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 talk. And, and, the, and the host or hostess who makes the meal wants the people to know what they're eating and why it was prepared for them. And, and so, during a little while in the conversation, the host or the hostess says, can I just redirect, can I just tell you about the meal that we're eating together? And a good person will say, oh, thank you so much. You know, we weren't paying attention enough to the wonderful meal you gave us, and they'll be very kind-hearted. What would, ha- what would you say of a person who got angry at the hostess and said, you're interrupting our conversation, you can just stop that? We would say, there's a problem there. And so it was, except, of course, worse with Cain. He became angry when God corrected him. It says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. His anger is like a wild animal inside him, leading to all kinds of trouble if he doesn't discipline it. And it doesn't, he doesn't discipline it. Cain actually lured his brother aside and murdered him. And when God asked him where his brother was, Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? By the way, the answer to this question is yes, you are. One of the most basic ideas in the whole Bible is that we are each other's keepers. In the family of God, we keep, we care for each other. We heard an announcement about that. If you don't know who's taking care of you, let me know, we heard just a moment ago. Because we keep, we tend, we care, we love, we look out, we pray, we help as we can. We most certainly are each other's keepers. And this church is very good at that, and we commend you. God is pleased when we do that. Now, of course, This has to proceed not from a matter of cold duty, but from a spirit of love, a sacrifice offered with a glad heart, that's what God wants. And in the believe it or not category, the language of Hebrews 4 echoes language it appears, sorry, Hebrews 11, the language of Hebrews 11 echoes language just a little bit earlier in chapter 10, verses five to seven. And that describes Jesus' acceptable sacrifice. So Abel offered offered an acceptable sacrifice. Jesus does too, these are the words of Hebrews 10, verses five to seven, it says this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, this is quoting Psalm 40, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me. So Abel offered a sacrifice that met God's pleasure, that God was pleased with. And that echoes what Jesus did when he came, Hebrews says in chapter 10, Psalm 40 said long before, when he came, he didn't come to offer a sacrifice for his sins, for his sins. Jesus did not come to offer a sacrifice for his sins but for our sins, and he prepared to do that by living a life that was perfect. He took the body that God gave him. He did the Father's will. He lived in perfect righteousness so that when he died, he didn't just die to cover our sins, he also died and gave us his righteousness. That perfect obedience of Christ is faintly echoed in us as we live, and it was faintly echoed in Abel as he offered an acceptable sacrifice, his first and his best, and God said, thank you. With a good heart, you offer me what you should, and I commend you for it. Jesus offered the most excellent gift he offered himself, which is really what Abel was doing when he gave his sacrifice to God. And so we offer a good and pleasing sacrifice, and we offer the right thing with the right heart. That's what... Abel did. But of course we have to think it over. We have to do it the right way. We're going to see in a moment the people who didn't quite do it the right way. The people who offered a sacrifice kind of like, I don't know, a little bit like Cain maybe. They offered what they wanted to offer and didn't think it through. So it's just a pause for an application already. Um, I'm a man of a certain age and when you reach a certain age people start asking you questions like So, are you thinking about retiring, or when are you gonna retire, which is a question I find somewhere between disgusting and reprehensible. I'm not quite sure where it fits in the continuum of bad questions. But of course, what they're driving at is, you know, life is short and you have to decide how you will give your energy in this world as long as it remains. And some people want me to mow the grass and, um, I don't know, sweep the floor and read more murder mysteries and things of that nature. And other people have big plans for me. Now, I write a lot of books and I'm not a great author, but I, I kind of, I'm reliable is the best way to say it. You know, we don't, I've not, I've not written a bestseller, but but they sell enough that nobody loses any money. And so people are, are always saying to me, Dan, would you write a book, write a book, write a book, write a book, write a book. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's what I'm supposed to do in my life anymore. Maybe I'm done with that. And so you have to think it over. You have to ask, what skills do I have? Where can they be used best? And that applies to somebody, a man of a certain age, a woman of a certain age, 20, 40, 60, 80, whatever your age may be you have to ask, what is the acceptable sacrifice that I can give to God at this point in my life that would please him and come from a good heart? That's what Abel was doing, that's why he was commended. Now, when we look at the question of acceptable sacrifice, we do have to contrast it with other people who offered other sacrifices. And the first of those is David, King David, 2 Samuel 6. Many of you know the story. You can flip in your Bible to it if you want to, but uh, this would be a partially acceptable sacrifice because it was offered foolishly at first. The story is that David is now king of Israel. He's been king for long enough that he can start asking, how do I want to establish my kingdom? And he says, one of the first things I want to do is bring the Ark of the Covenant, which has been in a little town called Kiryat Ya'arim, a few miles outside southwest of of Jerusalem, and he's gonna bring it from this small town where it's been for some time for complicated reasons. He's gonna bring it to Jerusalem. And he decides to make it a grand event. He gathers priests and musicians and choirs, and he writes psalms for the occasion, and, and they're gonna take it some number of miles, and they decide to load it. I'm gonna just walk around here. I always, when I was a pastor here, when I was the pastor here, I always wanted to walk around a lot more this that's a really small space i got to tell you that constrains people so i'm going to walk around now so they're going to walk the miles up to jerusalem and they decide to take the ark on an ox cart now this was their idea they didn't read the bible that told them how to carry things like the ark the ark was supposed to be carried by four men with poles on their shoulders and the ark in between so that no one would touch it and everybody would be mindful of what they were doing. But they're, they're carrying on an ox cart, and the oxen stumble, and the cart slips, and a man named Uzzah reached out and touched the ark, which you're absolutely forbidden to do. But he reached out to stabilize it because they'd done everything wrong, and he died, and everyone was crushed. And then they said, oh, maybe we should read the Bible and see how we should move the ark. And then they discovered what I just said, you're supposed to put it on poles and carry it between your shoulders so that that sort of thing doesn't happen. And so eventually, after checking the law, David's sacrifice became acceptable. Now the point is very simple. A sacrifice is acceptable when it's offered with a good heart according to God's standards. You don't just do what you feel like doing You don't just follow your most recent impulse if you want to please God. Your impulses, your heart impulses, and his law guide us. Let me give you a simple example. Probably at some point in your life, someone has come to you with a sorrow or a grief, right? And they're telling you about it, and you're thinking, I want to be helpful. That's your good impulse. But you can be helpful in helpful ways and unhelpful ways. And one way to be unhelpful often is to say, oh, I know the solution to your problem. Now the sad truth is, the people may have had this problem for 20 years and done everything they can think of, followed every bit of advice and counsel. They've—they've they've, Not only have they tried what you're going to say, but they tried it four times and it failed every time. And so when you say, hey, I've got the solution for a problem, you're actually hurting them. Just listen to them, and after you listen long enough, then maybe you can ask a question. um, Hey, so how have you tried to solve that? I'm just curious, so I can pray for you. What have you tried? And then maybe, if they make no reference to the brilliant idea you have, and it may be a brilliant idea, maybe you can say, hey, would you mind if I just offered a thought? Instead of jumping in and saying, I've got the solution to your problem. We have to have good intentions and follow the laws of relationships. Now, third, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, we have another sacrifice that's very well intended and falls far short. And it goes like this. It's only four or five verses in the Bible. It's 2 Samuel 23, 13 to 17. And it's in this portion of Samuel that reviews the life of David. And it goes through not just the life of David, but the men who gathered themselves to David in the time of his exile. Just a quick comment. You know that David was God's anointed king. We just said he was the king. But before he was king, he had a long period of time in which he was um, pursued and hated by the previous king, Saul. Saul was envious of him. Saul was not grateful for the service that David rendered, it was marvelous service. He was a captain of war, successful in defending his people, and a musician, and loyal, and the better David was, the angrier Saul became, and wanted to kill him. He saw him only as a rival, and so David had to flee. And he lived far off in the south deserts of Israel. And from that place, he hid from Saul, who gave his energy to pursuing David instead of defending the borders of the land, which needed to be done because there was a group of people called the Philistines who were constantly attacking Israel at this time. And Saul busied himself trying to kill David instead of trying to defend his borders. And so in the episode described in, in 2 Samuel 23, the, the Philistines are, are halfway across Israel, they've reached Bethlehem, if you know your geography, That's way into Israel, it's like saying, you know, the Canadians, uh, we finally resisted the Canadians when they reached Tulsa. You're, You're not doing real well if the Philistines are in Bethlehem, all right? And so the nation is in trouble. And David laments this because he can't really help because he's on the run. And he says these words, he says the words, oh that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. Now maybe the water there was exceptionally sweet, maybe he's lonely for home, tired of living as an exile. I think there's a really good chance he's saying, I wish I could be down there fighting the Philistines and driving them out. I think it's a political remark as well as a personal remark. And he says it as a wish and he has these men of valor who've gathered themselves to him because, you know, he's a protean talent, right? and you know he's brilliant and he's, he's brave and he's a musician and people come to him and they hear him say this and they decide to sneak through enemy lines. They walk 15 miles from where they are. They walk 15 miles, break through enemy lines to get water out of a well. They walk back through enemy lines, risking their lives to get the, the man of God a drink of water and then another day and they bring it to David Now, what do you do when someone risks their life to give you a drink of water that you asked for? Can you imagine saying, man, I'd sure like some ice cold lemonade. And then you find out that someone paid $43,000 for the lemonade and almost died in the process. What would you do? Now, most logically we would say, Thank you so much, what a sacrifice. But David couldn't do that. And in fact, when he was given this water from the well, he poured it onto the ground as they saw it happen. They watched him pour it on the ground. Now, that's not an act of unkindness. It's, a, it's a, an act of love and an act of honoring God. I'm sure they were horrified as they watched that water for which they risked their life, dribble onto the ground. I'm sure they're dismayed that, that David scorned their gift and yet eventually had to understand that he loved them too much to let them risk his life for silly things of this nature. He was a poet, he was speaking poetically. He didn't want them to risk their lives for a cup of water and so it's, it's a mistaken gift but it's, it's also another kind of a mistake. You know, David's the anointed of the Lord He's the one who taught Israel how to sing. He delivered them from their enemies. He is what we call a type of Christ, a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. And it's very good to be dedicated to the Lord, and good to be dedicated to God's servants and God's agents, like David. But we're not supposed to be dedicated to the man in himself. We're supposed to be dedicated to the man, or the woman, as the case may be, to the man or the woman who does God's work in God's name. He's saying, there's no place for mere loyalty to a person. We're, We're loyal to a person insofar as that loyalty serves God. No one should risk their lives in this way. We risk our lives for things that really matter. Daniel risked his life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego risked their lives. There are a lot of people, Jeremiah, Isaiah, risked their lives. But they did it for God's sake, not for the sake of impressing some human, and so we have a sacrifice that is offered with a good heart, but not meeting God's standards. So what does God want? Well, Romans chapter 12 describes it. Romans chapter 12 says this, I appeal to you, verses one and two, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, reasonable worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of the Lord is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, that deserves a sermon of its own, but in a few words, the motive is the mercies of God. He said, I appeal to your brothers by the mercies of God. Now, those mercies have been recounted through the whole book of Romans. Justification by faith, reconciliation to God, union with Christ. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Adoption as God's sons and daughters. Those are the mercies of God that motivate us. So the right heart is one motivated by the mercies of God. Second, we present our bodies. You know, one of the um, interesting things about Christians that they, is that they love to say things like, you know, I've, I, I give, I've given my heart to the Lord, and I say, great. What I want to know is what you've done with your body. Are you serving God with your hands and with your feet? Because I serve God with my mind is lovely rhetoric. I want to see whether the rhetoric actually hits the ground. Maybe that's what I say. I think it's what the Lord is saying here. Present your bodies as acceptable sacrifices. And that word present is a little bit formal. It means something like, almost like make a presentation. Think it through, what are you gonna do as you make this presentation to God? We don't don't rush, we wanna avoid the error of David's men who had a very good idea and it was deeply misguided. We wanna avoid the error of David who wanted to bring the ark to God's God's city, Jerusalem, and they did it in a deeply flawed way. And someone died as a consequence. I don't know about you, but it's definitely my tendency, maybe it's yours, um, to see something that needs to be done and just kind of rush to it, you know? Like when I get an invitation to speak somewhere, I want to make my decision instantly. Like, yeah, that's a cool, that's a great place. I've never been there before, sure. And Besides, I'm feeling vaguely bored right now, so yes, I'll do that. Or, I don't want to do that, the, the flight connections are terrible. I'm not doing that. I'm just quick, careless, often. And then, of course, I don't want to get political, but I'm going to get political a little, okay? You know, we've had a terrible series of tragedies of shootings in our nation, and we, we all want to do something about it. But it probably takes really careful thought, doesn't it? If you say, we're just going to do this is probably going to go nowhere because the other side is going to oppose because we're a divided country in so many ways. Or if you want to care for the environment, and I hope we call it environmental care, but, you know, Christians, we call it creation care. And we all believe in creation care. We want to honor God's creation. You know, the animals and the resources God put in the world, of course we do. As some people say, you know, to save the planet, you'll have to buy electric cars right now. By right now, I mean you've got two weeks to save the planet and if you don't buy an electric car in two weeks, you hate God. Well, that's probably not true. And so we shouldn't rush, take our time, get our principles right, don't get into quarrels, don't start demanding solar panels, think it through. Serve God with a good heart, serve God with your mind, get your motives right, get the plan right, And away we go. So, let's review for a moment. Cain and Abel, Cain brought something to God. He brought fruit, That's all we know. He brought fruit. Maybe he brought it because he knew his brother was bringing fruit and he felt he had to do something. It certainly doesn't look, there's no indication at all that Cain brought his gift with a good heart. He brought a gift. He had to, He's told to. Peer pressure, I, we don't know. But something was wrong with his gift. Abel brought the best. He brought the first. He brought the fat portions. He brought the right thing with the right heart. And then David, David had a marvelous idea. We want my kingdom. He said, let's have a kingdom that focuses on the worship of God and and song and the ark and the presence of God. Let's do that. A brilliant idea, foolishly executed at first, causing great tragedy. And then he studied God's word and found out how to do it, which of course is what I commend to you. The right motives the right way, David's men, so loyal, so loving, so devoted to David, foolishly so again. And David had to redirect and say, no, no, don't risk your life for me, give your life for God and for his cause and his purposes. And then the book of Romans tells us how to offer a sacrifice that God finds acceptable. We offer not our rhetoric, we offer our bodies we offer our bodies in concrete acts. We offer our bodies, and we offer our minds. In the Bible, the mind and the heart are more or less the same thing. We offer ourselves wisely, we offer a good gift. I'm just gonna call it out here. I just glanced at Rosemary over here. Everybody knows Rosemary. I, um, I was reminded that there was a, a man who wanted to give a gift to Mother Teresa a long time ago. And so he gave her a Lincoln Continental to drive around the streets in Calcutta. And she didn't even look at it or take the keys, she just said, sell it, we'll use the proceeds. Good motive, good motive from this man. And she redirected and said, let's give this gift wisely and well in the right way. That's our desire. I can't tell you what the way is. I do ask you to contemplate what's the best way for you to offer an acceptable sacrifice out of love, out of joy in God's provision, following all of his teachings, so it's truly acceptable to God, to men, to women, to children. Let's pray together for a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have in your word direction so that we would know how to offer sacrifices that you receive. Lord, I I thank you for moving in our hearts with good motives to desire to serve you. And I ask, Lord, that you would purify those motives by directing us well, so we would give that which truly and fully pleases you and others. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.